Well, it's good to be here. Um, I figured this is probably the only time that it'd be acceptable for me to wear camo while I'm preaching. So uh, I went for it. Okay. And, uh, and I'm fully aware that I've got the most challenging teaching session coming right after the steak dinner. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm the young guy on the teaching team, so I didn't really get a choice. I just said, yes, sir. So uh, <laughs> uh, I, know, I know my role. Okay. Um, but man, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to actually be here for the whole weekend. I, I got to preach last year, but I had strep throat. And so had a 101 fever, came up, preached, bolted, got out of here. So it's been good to actually just chill with you guys. It's been fun. Um, but I really, I, I need this time. Uh, because I've got, I got a wife and two little girls, and I got another little girl on the way. Um, I know, yeah. I'm surrounded on all sides, okay? And, uh, and so this guy needs his bro time, so this is, uh, this is good for my soul. Um, but man, I'm, I'm grateful to be able to, to preach again and be here. Um, I, I believe in what Stephen Lay is doing, uh, because as a lot of you know, uh, our world our culture, our, our families, our churches, um, we're living in a day where we desperately, desperately need strong men to step up and lead. It's hard to be a man in today's society. Okay? I don't think I need to tell you that. It's tough. Um, there's a lot of temptation out there. I know a lot of you are you're coming in, you got a lot of pain. It's also overwhelming because we think about all the things that we got to do. And there's so much to do that at times it, it really seems kind of pointless to even try. And that is exactly, that's exactly what Satan wants us to believe. Because Satan knows that when men come together and they fulfill their calling and they advocate for the weak and they walk in integrity... Everybody around them is strengthened. <laughs> Everybody. When a man walks with the Lord and he trusts his God, everyone around him is strengthened. And I praise God, like we've got some, some good men in this room, some strong men. Like some guys here, like you love the Lord. You honor women. You work hard. You're humble. You stand on truth even when it's unpopular. And I just want to encourage you real quick. Uh, God sees you, brother. Okay? He sees you. Don't succumb to what society says is manliness. You keep taking up that cross, and you follow Jesus. And in order to do that well, we've got to understand our identity. Okay? We've got to understand our identity. We've got to understand where we've come from, who we are, and where we're going. Because everything we do is going to flow from who we think we are. Okay? Everything we do is going to flow from who we think we are. So we've got to grasp that reality if we're ever going to live up to the calling that we have as men. And so we're going to talk about that tonight in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, but before we, we dive in, I think it's paramount uh, that we come together once again and just pray. Uh, because I, I realize um, a lot of you came into this weekend and, and you just got a lot on your plate. And God's bringing some things to light. He's calling you out of, out of darkness. For some of you, he's reminding you of some truth that you've been forgetting. And, uh, and I just think it's really important for us to come together and continue just to plead and say, God, would you keep moving? Would you keep doing whatever you're doing in my soul? And if you're here and you're like, man, I, 
I'm not really, I don't feel like God's doing anything. Well, you pray right now that God would. Okay. And so I just want us to take a moment and just, you don't have to move around, but just stay where you're at, grab a guy or two next to you. And then one of you be bold and just pray and say, Lord God, we need you. Would you teach us something tonight? And then I'll close this here in a minute. Okay, let's do that right now. All right, take about 10 more seconds. I'm going to pray over us. All right, I'm going to pray. Here we go. Father God, uh, we thank you for this time. Uh, We know what your word says in James 5.16, that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and it's effective. And so we come before you right now, and we're believing, God, that you're going to come and you're going to speak to us. We need you, God. We need you. Please have mercy. Would you come? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the most important and uh, profound questions that I think any of us can ask ourselves is who am I? <laughs> okay? I think one of the most important questions, one of the most profound questions that any of us can ask ourselves is who am I? Because your answer to this question, whether true or false, will dictate how you live your life. However you answer that question, whether true or false, is going to dictate how you live your life. Because your identity will naturally impact your activities. Guess that? Your identity will naturally impact your activities. According to the dictionary, 
One definition for identity is defined as the collective aspect of the set of characteristics by which a thing is definitely recognized or known. Meaning whenever someone sees a collective set of characteristics, they should be able to tell that that's you. That's Jason. He's blonde, he's weird, he's an Aggie, he's passionate. There he is. Okay. Or it can be defined as the quality or condition of being the same as something else. Meaning your life should indicate whatever it is that you identify with. If you identify as an Aggie, then you should have that ring. <laughs> okay. But when it comes to our identity as Christians, Paul says in Galatians 2.20 that he is identified with Christ. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He says, as a Christ follower, my identity is in him. And everything that I do stems from that identity. The problem, though, is that many of us struggle and we're still haunted by false identities that manifest themselves in a plethora of ways. Rather than identifying with the finished work of the cross we find, and finding our sense of worth and value in Jesus, we look to other things. For some of us, we are defined by how we cook our steak. <laughs> and I just want to say something real quick. If, if you cook your steak well done and dip it in sauce, you need to repent. Okay? <laughs> just real quick. Okay? Just real quick. Come meet me in the back at the end. We want to talk. Okay? Now, for some of us, okay, for some of us, we're defined by the accomplishments that are listed on our resume or our job history or the school that we attended, okay? Others of you might identify yourself solely by your lineage or your ethnicity. You view view yourself in light of how your family was viewed. For others of you, you're Your identity, you you define yourself by your sexual longing, or maybe your political leanings. Or maybe you see yourself summed up in a Myers-Briggs category, or a psychiatric diagnosis. For some of you, your sense of self-worth comes from your money, or your lack thereof. For some of you, it's your achievements in this life. For others of you, it's your failures. For some, your identity stems from the approval of others, And then for some, it's their rejection. Perhaps afflictions define you, whether that be a disability, cancer, or divorce. Or then for others, your religious activity defines you. Your spiritual gifts, your Bible knowledge, your church denomination. For some, it's your high self-esteem that defines you. Uh, For others, it's your self-hatred. And I've seen that one of the greatest struggles for for most of us is viewing ourselves exclusively through our sin. For some of us, we define ourselves by our greatest temptation or our greatest failure. Like you're just an angry man. You're just an addict. You're an adulterer. You're an anxious people pleaser. And when we believe these false things about ourselves, we start to project a false self to those around us. And instead of revealing this inner brokenness that we're feeling, we start to get really good at just being a man, right? And we put on this outer shell and we don't let anybody in. But here's the thing. Your true identity 
is who God says you are. Because the Lord made you. It says in Genesis that every single one of us was created in the image of God. Meaning that our identity is inseparably connected to who he is. Everything we ever learn about God, whatever his identity is, is going to correlate specifically to something about us. Therefore, the two most important questions that I think any of us can ask is number one, what enters my mind when I think about God? What enters my mind when I think about God? And then number two, which I think is just as important, is what enters my mind when I think about how God thinks about me? You catch that? And I want you to think about that for a second. Write it down. When you think about God, don't reason with yourself. What are the first thoughts that pop into your head? And write it down. Just be honest. When the word God comes into your mind, what do you think about? Write it down. And then at the same time, what are the first thoughts that pop in your head when you think about how God views you? Don't reason with yourself. Just what first enters your head? Write that down. Be honest. I think for a lot of guys, when we think about God, we think about an angry dad who views us in light of our failure. And maybe that's because that's who your earthly dad was, and that's affected how you view your heavenly dad. But whatever enters our mind when we think about God, and whatever enters our mind when we think about how God thinks about us, is going to dictate how we go about our life. Because our theology is going to impact our sociology. Our theology will impact our anthropology. Our theology is going to affect how we treat ourselves and then how we treat others. So we got to get this right because it affects everything. And I think many of us in this room are frustrated with ourselves. I've already talked to a lot of you this weekend and we're frustrated with ourselves or we're frustrated with God because we keep falling into sin and doing things that we hate and it bothers us. We feel like hypocrites and it's affecting how we live. It's affecting how we live. And that's why it's paramount that Christians, what we've got to do in this life is we've got to continue reminding ourselves over and over of what the gospel is. Because you're going to struggle in this life. You are going to struggle in this life. And a lot of you, like you're going to continue wrestling with, with the same sins, even after conversion, that you struggled with before conversion. Now, I'm fully aware that there's those like crazy people that, uh, and I praise God for these people, but it's like they came to know Jesus, and then that, that sinful desire, that addiction was just gone, right? And they just never struggled with it ever again. But in my mind, like praise be to God, that's not most of our experiences, okay? It's not. If it... If that was the case for everybody, that the desires just vanished. I mean, a lot of us would be feeling really depressed right now because we're still struggling. But I think for most of us, for most of us, even after we've come to know Christ, we're still struggling with some of the same sins that we struggled with before Christ. Uh, Lust didn't go away for me when I started following Jesus. Anger uh, didn't go away when I started following Jesus. It's still there. Daily battle. Daily fight. Daily fight. In fact, let's, let's do a, a quick survey. Um, how many of you, post-conversion, so for those of you 
that have trusted in Jesus Christ, how many of you post-conversion would say that you've had seasons where you've been frustrated with yourself or frustrated with God because of sin? Raise your hand. Keep them up. And everybody, okay? Everybody. So, so here's the thing. Now, we're, we're all in the same boat. We've all admitted that this is a struggle for us, which is why we've got to anchor down in the truth of the gospel and remind ourselves often of who God really is and what he thinks about us. Because you've just proven that you're going to struggle at times. And you're going to be really frustrated. And so if we don't ground ourselves in who God says he is and what he says about us, we're going to be mad a lot at ourselves. Okay? So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And let's start trying to answer those questions. Because I got limited time and I haven't even got into the text yet. All right. It says this in verse 1. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Let's stop right there. Okay, there's a whole lot, whole lot we can unpack. But let me just say a couple of things. It says this, first off, you were. It says you were, all of us. Paul is talking specifically to Christians here, and he says all of you used to be this way, past tense. This is who you were, not who you are now. Catch that? It's who you were, not who you are now. He says pre-conversion, you were dead. You weren't just a little bit off. You weren't just sick. No, you were dead. Okay, most of the world tells us that we're basically good. Okay, that we're basically good. Like if we just believe in ourselves, we can accomplish anything. Right, if we just elect the right president or just fix this one area, if we just discipline ourselves in this way, we're going to be all right. I'll say this, as a millennial, which I don't, I'm not super proud of that title, okay, I'll be honest. <laughs> but every generation, okay, every generation has its flaws. And where my generation got really jacked up is everybody told us as we were growing up how awesome we were, okay? They did. Everybody just told us, man, you're so awesome. Like if you just dream the biggest and work the hardest, you can accomplish anything that you want to. And now millennials are growing up and we're seeing record-breaking numbers when it comes to depression and anxiety. Record-breaking numbers, especially among men. Because millennials are starting to realize that we got some major issues and we don't know how to fix them. But everybody told us if we just believe hard enough and dream big enough, we can fix anything. And it's a lie. It's an absolute lie. Now, is mankind capable of doing remarkably good things through hard work? Absolutely we are. We've been created in the image of God. But when it comes to the consequences of sin and the problem of evil, we're bankrupt. We ain't got nothing for that. We're morally broken. There's nothing good about us. And Paul crushes that philosophy here. He says, we were totally and utterly dead, absolutely incapable of fellowship with God. We are incapable of pleasing God. There's nothing that we could do. He said, unless God intervenes, we are damned. 
There ain't nothing we can do to fix this sin problem that's in our souls and in this world. We're in a horrible predicament because of our sin. Paul says we were dead because of our trespasses and our sins, meaning that we went where we were never supposed to go, and we are what we never should have been. And you don't have to be a Christian to realize that things aren't right in this world. That's why you can go onto Amazon, and there's about a million self-help books, about a million of them. I would actually argue, we talked about this the other day, that most men don't understand that They have a need. I would actually argue most men do understand they have a need. They're just looking in the wrong places. They're just looking to the wrong places in order to fix that need. Everybody's trying to figure out what's wrong with us. Some would say what's wrong with us is social. Like if we can just fix these social systems, then we can find healing. Others would be like, no, it's not social. It's spiritual. There's a spiritual problem. There's something dark out there that's affecting everything that you and I are doing. Others would say, no, it's not social, it's not spiritual, it's internal. Like there's this chemical, like this, this wiring in our brains that's off, it's unbalanced. What's, what's wrong with us is us. And what the Bible says to all three of those is yes. <laughs> it says yes. The reason things aren't right is because there's three powerful forces that exist. Namely, the world, the devil, and the flesh. Paul says, you used to walk according to the course of this world. You see that? Paul says in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world. Jesus says in John 17, 14, he is not of this world and neither are his followers. What we see in scriptures, and we see this in our society today, that the natural tide of the world is against the things of God. That's the natural tide. The way that things naturally go is is in opposition with the values and ideals of the Lord. Turn on the news, pay attention to entertainment. This isn't hard to figure out. We live in a depraved society. Instead of worshiping the creator, we worship created things. And our culture is suffering because of it. That's why you and I, if we don't intentionally and deliberately organize our life around the things of God, we're naturally going to go with the flow away from the things of the Lord. Being a Christian today in our society means that we are swimming upstream. (laughs) We're swimming upstream. If you stop swimming, you're going to go away from God. Men, we can't be passive. We can't be. That's been one of the greatest temptations of man since the garden. (laughs) You got Eve, she took the fruit, Adam's standing there. Um, God's wired us to lead our homes, to lead our churches, but we've got to be intentional about this. Or the natural tides of the world are going to lead us away from the Lord. But our problem isn't just with society. It's not just with our world. It's with the devil himself, who is called the prince of the power of the air. Meaning there's an evil, like a dark fog that permeates the air. That's what Paul's getting at here. Ephesians 6 says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of wickedness that exist in the heavenly realms. Meaning, Paul's saying there's something really dark in the air. There's something really dark in the air, like we, we can feel it. And a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about on a personal level, because there's dark things that exist in your life that you don't really seem to have much power over. Like some of you can think about, there's some really dark, dark, wicked things in your life and you don't seem to have much power over them. For some of you, it's your anger. At times, you will burst with rage. 
and there's something around you, something in you that is encouraging you to feed that flame. For others of you, it's unforgiveness. You love to hold people in bondage because of that. And there's something in you, something around you that, that is cheering you on to not to forgive. For others of you, it's lust. And, and it's frustrating because at times you'll feel like all sorts of thoughts will just enter your mind and you're not even trying to think about these things. They just seem to come out of nowhere and just into your head. And you're like, what is going on? Like, what is wrong with me? And Paul tells you, he says, listen, child, like there's a darkness that's all around you and it wants to consume your life. There's very, very real evil that exists in our world. And it's here right now. It's here in this room. And it wants to control you. And then there are some people that live in this fantasy world and they're like, no, nah, I don't believe in that stuff. I just kind of, I want to build my own little empire. I want to build my own little kingdom because I don't, I don't want to be held accountable. I just want to do my thing. The problem is the Bible says that kingdom doesn't exist. There's only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness that's ruled by Satan and there's the kingdom of light that's ruled by Jesus. He says, which one are you in? You're in one or the other. There's no middle ground. But then Paul says in Ephesians that there's an internal component to all of our brokenness. Yes, at times we fall into sin because of the world and this worldly peer pressure. And yes, there's this evil spiritual component that tempts us to sin. But there's also this internal component where you wanted to do these things. Paul says we lived in the lusts of our flesh indulging the desires of our flesh and of our mind, meaning at times we reason with ourselves, saying, I know that what I'm about to do is not the most loving thing to do. I know it degrades me and it degrades others, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. And at times, even for myself, I know I'm tempted to sin. I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't do it, but I don't care. I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to do it anyways. And Paul says, all of us, every single one of us, we have willingly partaken in sin. And in God's economy, when it comes to God's wrath and God's judgment, there are no victims. <laughs> There's no victims. No one's going to get up to God and put up the victim card. It's because of the world. It's because of evil. God's going to be like, no, you willingly chose to indulge in the desires of your flesh. We gave in and we committed sin because that's who we were, sinners. Our actions were sinful because our appetite was sinful. And God hates it. He hates our sin. It infuriates him. The abuse, the lies, the lust, the pride, the murder, all of it. God hates it and he promises that he's going to judge it. And one day he's going to wipe away all this evil, which is really terrible news. Because all of us have committed evil. And one day God promises he's going to wipe all that away. Which is why verse 4 of Ephesians is one of the best verses in the entire Bible. Because it says, but God. (laughs) But God. Dear Christian, behold your identity. Let's read verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy... 
Because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Paul says, verses 1 through 3, that's who you were. That's who you used to be. That's what your identity once was. Because of your trespasses and sins, because you're following the world, because you're given in to evil temptation... And because of willful rebellion, you were dead men walking. Our spiritual state was lifeless. We were rightfully objects of God's wrath. And condemnation was our destiny. But God. But God. Not but we. Not but uh, I disciplined myself more. Not but then I got clean. Not but then I got more discipline. But then I started having quiet time. Not because I started reading my Bible. No, but God. (laughs) But God. It's not about us. It's about lifting your eyes and looking at what he's done. Because of his great mercy, because of his great love, because of his great kindness, because of his great grace, he made us alive. (laughs) He made us alive. Notice here we got this ongoing action. We've got past tense, how he loved us. We've got present tense, he's made us alive. And then we've got this future tense, that in the ages to come. Because of God's great love, there's an ongoing action of God's grace. He says, you've been justified in the past. You're being sanctified right now. And one day you're going to be glorified in the future. And it's all by God's grace. All of it. Despite our wickedness. Despite our brokenness, Jesus came to earth to show, hey, I ain't giving up on you. (laughs) I'm not giving up on Jason. I still love that guy. And I'm coming to show that I'm not mad at him. That I love him. And I'm here for him. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. He paved the way out of this mess so he could show all of us that he has come to make us new. Christianity is not about becoming a nicer person. Christianity is not about becoming more religious or starting a new routine. Christianity is about becoming a new person. It's about becoming a new person. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Regardless of who you were, Regardless of how you feel, regardless of where you fall, for those of us who are in Christ, we are new creations. That's what the Word says. Our identity in Christ is first and foremost one of newness. The evil one will often come and say, look at who you once were, or look at who you are, and you're going to say, yes, I was, but God. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was, but God. Because of Him, I've been made new. But some of you are sitting here and you're like, well, uh, that's great, but I don't, I don't feel new. I don't feel new. I've wandered so far from God, like, Jason, you have no idea what I've done. And you're right, I don't know what you've done, but Jesus does. Jesus does. He knew what he was getting into when he died on the cross for your sins. 
He didn't die for the future all fixed up you. He died for the broken you. Jesus didn't die for you because he thought you were a good investment. Okay? He didn't save you because of what you would give him in return. God saved you and he forgave you solely because of himself. He stoops down towards hurting people and he tells them to rise because of himself. That's just who he is. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive and he doesn't need your help. He does so by his grace. He breathes on you. He calls you by name and through faith you rise. It's a gift. It's a gift. That's why arrogant Christians are some of the weirdest people in the entire world. (laughs) What are you arrogant about? You didn't do anything. You did nothing for your salvation. You did nothing for your righteousness. It's all been given to you. It's all been by God's grace. It's solely a gift. Like, what are you so pompous about? And I struggle with that too, but it's like, what am I doing? Like, you know, we're not going to walk into the gates of heaven and all the angels and gods are like, wow, there he is. Look at that guy. Man, he did it. You see that hard work he did? You see that quiet time he had? No, we get into heaven. And we all get in because of one reason. Our God was merciful. And our God says, listen, I know you don't deserve this because you're a wicked, wicked, wicked person. But you don't understand the the depth of my love. And you're never quite going to understand it. That's why for all of eternity, you're going to continue to be blown away by my love because it's so vast. It can't fit into your little mind. It's unlimited. It's infinite. It's eternal. And I love you so much. I, I'm giving you a free gift. I'm sending my son Jesus. And he's going to die for you. Even though he did nothing wrong. And even though you deserve nothing. He's going to die for you. Because my love for you has no bounds. Has no bounds. And Jesus is willingly going to go to the cross. He's going to say anyone who trusts in me is a new person. And he rose from the dead to show, hey, that's what's going to happen for anybody who believes in me. You're going to be made new. You're going to be made new. And God graciously gives us everything in Christ. God raised Jesus from the dead, so he's going to raise us from the dead. God seats Jesus in heaven, so he seats us in heaven. Wherever Jesus goes, you go. Why? Because that's just what God has decided to do. It ain't about you. It's about grace. It's about grace. Lift your eyes up. Lift your eyes up. As I close my time, I've got a question for you all. Number one is, are you dead or are you alive? Are you dead or are you alive? Not do you go to church or not. That wasn't my question. My question is, are you dead or are you alive? There's only two options. You're either in the kingdom of of darkness that is ruled by Satan that leads to death or you're in the kingdom of light that's ruled by by Jesus and it leads to eternal life. Those, Those are the two options. You're either dead, you're a dead man walking, or you're alive. Which one are you? If you're dead, the Bible says own your sin. Realize your need. Call upon the name of Jesus and you will be saved because he did everything for you. Everything. He took all of God's wrath. He took all of your punishment. You owe nothing. Jesus did it all. He offers you a free gift. All you have to do is believe. 
Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Not you might be, not possibly, we'll see. Let's see how hard you work. You will be. Um, those of you that have children, uh, y- y'all remember probably what it was like for your wife to give birth. <laughs> um, it was a mess. <laughs> um, I remember when we had our firstborn, I was kind of, I was, listen, I was there, I didn't really want to look, and uh, the doctor was like, no, you get your eyes over here, and uh, I was like, okay, and uh, I thought I was going to throw up, and the doctor was like, no, 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 here, here she comes, <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm holding that baby, right, there's blood, it's, it's, it's a mess, sweat, stress, it's a tense situation, but by golly, there's life, <laughs> that baby's alive. And there ain't nothing like that feeling. And your wife would tell you this. She'd be like, oh man, all the pain, (laughs) all the struggle, all the hardship pales in comparison to new life. To new life. Some of you are here and you're struggling right now. You're hurting, man. And you are battling. You've been battling with some of the same sins for a long time. Let me tell you something. Dead people don't struggle. Dead people don't struggle. The fact that you're struggling right now is evidence that you're alive, brother. (laughs) There's life. You're alive right now. You keep fighting. You keep fighting. Listen, the Christian life ain't pretty. It ain't pretty. But there's new life. There's new life. And one day, we're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, look at what I can do with such a mess. (laughs) All the pain... And all the hardship and all the struggle will not compare to the glory that's going to be received. Um, for those of you that are struggling right now, don't you dare say, well, I guess I'm not saved. Well, I guess God doesn't love me. No, brother, get your eyes on the cross. He absolutely does. He absolutely does. He's working on you. And as new creatures in Christ, we have a new identity that defines who we are, but that doesn't mean we're no longer going to struggle. While the world, the devil, and the sin nature no longer defines us, after conversion, they become the three-headed monster that becomes our greatest enemy. And right now, we're in a battle. And I'd say for the, for the Christian, temptation doesn't go away when we start following Christ. I would actually say it, it gets worse sometimes. It gets worse because now we've waged war against this three-headed monster. And so you're going to have tough times. Um, I'll end on this. My wife and I just sold our house, and uh, we're moving right down the road. My dad's building. He's a home builder. He's going to build us a house right down the road, and I've caught myself. I've caught myself. When I, when I come home from work, I'll instinctively turn into the old neighborhood, <laughs> and I'll go down to my old house, and then I've got to remind myself, hey, I don't live here anymore. <laughs> I don't live here anymore. Listen, uh, for those of you that trust in the Lord... What you need is you need brothers in Christ who come alongside of you and remind you, hey, brother, you can go down this road of temptation and you can give in to this sin, but that ain't you anymore. You don't live there anymore. That's not your address. That's who you were. That's who you used to be. But God, you're a child now. You're a citizen of heaven. You've been redeemed. You're a new person. That's your new address. Live there.
don't go back to the old neighborhood. Don't go back to the old neighborhood. And that's really what the Christian life looks like at times. It's reminding ourselves, hey, we have a new address now. <laughs> Let's quit going back to that old house. And then what we do is we realize that every single day we wake up because of God's grace, since he saved us by God's grace, since he's sanctifying us by grace, since he's glorifying us by grace, we wake up and we remember, we remember that his mercies are afresh every single morning. Every morning, his mercies are anew. Every day is a new start. Every single day is a new beginning. The old has gone, the new has come. And so we are constantly reminding ourselves of this identity of newness. And that's how we go about life. That's how we go about life. And life is a great adventure. As we surrender ourselves to this identity in Christ, we realize that he's got worthwhile things that he wants us to do. Your workplace, your family, your hobbies... Wherever God puts you, there's work that God has for you. By grace, he's given you work and he wants you to do them. And the beautiful thing about Christianity is for Christians, we don't do works in order to earn a relationship with God. We do works because of our relationship with God. And that's how we go forward every single day. That's what it looks like now. And so I want to encourage you tonight. God loves you. Don't you dare get arrogant. You got nothing to be arrogant about. Be humble. Be kind. Be gracious. But don't wallow in pity or despair either. Because your God loves you, man. He ain't mad at you. You've been made new. So walk in that freedom. And don't go back to the old address. Okay? Um, I want us to end our time by just, I don't know, I just thought of this. If it's not okay, tell me, Stephen. But uh, just maybe just, uh, just grab somebody <laughs> next to you. Okay? Just grab somebody, even if you don't know them. And I want you just to affirm them. Affirm them in Jesus. Even if you're like, man, I don't, what's your name? All right, sweet, let me pray. And just affirm them in the name of Jesus. If you don't want to do this, you don't have to. But I want you, to, I just want to encourage us. This is, we need men that remind us of who our identity is. Okay? So let's do this real quick. I want you to pray over them. Okay.
All right, let's come together. Let's pray. Let's come together. Well, Father God, um, we come before you right now. We just want to say thank you. We We thank you for your word that you've given us, that we can come to it and be reminded of who we are. God, what can we say? We've done nothing. You've done everything. We come to you with dirty hands. So much sin is in our life. There's so much sin and brokenness in our past. There's nothing we can offer you, God. You are the almighty God. You do what you please. You are the maker of the heavens and the earth. Everything you hold together in your hands. There is nothing we can offer you, God. But you're a God of grace. And you're a God of love. And even when we are far from you, you said, child, come here. Come sit at my table. Come dine with me. I got great plans for you. I've given you a gift. And there's new life because of Jesus. And we praise you for that, God. And I pray that tonight, if there's men here that are just battling, God, don't let them battle alone. Help them to reach out to another brother in this room and be encouraged. We need each other. And we thank you for this group. We thank you for this ministry. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.